Welcome to BR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR and Education. In today's episode, we are talking to Jesse Shell. Jesse's a video game designer, author, distinguished professor at Carnegie Mellon University, and maybe most importantly for today, the CEO of Shell Games. He's here today to talk about VR game design. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Hey, glad to be here. You know, one of my first questions is always, how did you get interested or involved in virtual reality? Well, let's see. So uh, virtual reality has been something very interesting to me for a long time. I remember first running into it, uh, looking at a magazine, probably around 1991 or 1992, something like that. And uh, I was immediately fascinated by the idea of being able to kind of feel and be in another place. So I got very involved in VR in the 90s. I did my graduate work at Carnegie Mellon, uh, all about that. And then I started working at the Disney Virtual Reality Studio in the mid-90s, uh, working on Disney's virtual reality theme park, Disney Quest. Wow, what a, what a great opportunity that must have been. I've been teaching for many years, almost 28 now, and one of the hot-button topics that's always been the case with me and parents has been gaming for students. So you wrote a book about the art of game design. Can you tell us some takeaways from that book that might be great advice for parents? Uh, sure. Um, so yeah, the, the Art of Game Design is really a book all about taking a step back and understanding what game design really is and how the nature of it is really the nature of human experience and take being able to take lessons from every aspect of experience design from the world of music from the world of um storytelling uh from the world of of, of engineering from architecture from all over the place because all of those things end up influencing the world of game design. So I think one of the important things for parents to understand is that when, when their children are excited about a particular game experience, there's something really meaningful in that. So I was reading this book by James G. And he says uh, in his book, video games require the player to learn and think in ways in which we're not always adept. What are your thoughts about this? Can video games teach us things that maybe textbooks and other things can't? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the thing about video games is that they're just inherently interactive, that you're, you're constantly doing, constantly getting feedback about what you've done is right or wrong. One of the most interesting things I think that games can uh, teach us much better than books or lectures or other linear media is anything involving systems. Because to understand a system, you've got to be able to experiment with it. And 
Um, so that that's a place that, that games are really good at. And there's so many kinds of systems. There's certainly scientific systems, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like a solar system or a biological system or an ecology. Um, but then there's all kinds of man-made systems, all kinds of machines, uh, economies, uh, all, all kinds of things. So I often think that's one of the areas where games really excel is when you're when anything that involves uh, experimentation over time. Mm. Uh, that reminds me, speaking of systems, uh, I've played and, and enjoy your game, I Expect You to Die, which arguably is a, a puzzle game. And often puzzle games are thought of as one type of system. However, some teachers don't see this yet as learning. You know, these types of games teach more generic, you know, approaches to learning skills. And some teachers would say they lack specific alignment to curricula. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, and I guess it all depends on on what is it that you're trying um, to 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 teach somebody. Um, because very often an educator has a very specific curricula that they're trying to, you know, set of curricula they're trying to get across. Um, but then there are other times where you just want to kind of uh, exercise somebody's mind by having them sort of get in there and and solve problems. In those cases, I think solving puzzles of all kinds um, can be uh, can be interesting and useful and kind of can build you as a creative problem solver. But right now, uh, creative problem solving isn't something that is generally taught in school. If it ever is, I think then there's room for uh, for games like that. Mm, yeah, I agree. It should it should be taught, and you know, I'm a big fan and, and talk a lot on this podcast about you know abandoning or reducing the amount of curricula objectives so that there is more time to to play and lean into these more generic types of games. So I tried out Hollow Lab VR, which is a for for listeners, it's a chemistry type game that teaches us about precision, properties of matter, and of course problem solving. What kind of response have you guys been getting about this uh, in my opinion amazing VR game? Yeah, the response from HoloLab has been really good. I mean, the goal of it was to be able to teach chemistry lab skills in a VR uh, environment. And there's a lot of reasons that is important, partly because uh, lab skills, that's something that has to be hands-on. That's just how it is. And it's great because VR lets you put your hands in and actually learn sort of the muscle memory techniques of the right way to work with lab equipment. And then further to do it in a completely safe way. Um, normally, lab skills, you're asking young students to uh, play with fragile glass and uh, toxins and things that are flammable and, and dangerous in, in many dimensions, not to mention the expense of just of the materials that you have to use. So being able to practice and get up to your lab skills in a virtual environment before you kind of enter a real lab has some benefits. And so we've, we've definitely got a lot of really positive reception um, from uh, science teachers. In Hollow Lab VR, as well as other games in general, there's uh, points that you can gain or gather within the application. You can level up by gathering assets. Do these ever get in the way of the learning outcome? 
Oh, well, it's just ways of measuring and communicating progress. And can that get in the way in learning outcome? It can. I mean, just like it does in real school. Grades get in the way of learning outcomes all the time. And grades are the same kind of uh, system of trying to give you feedback. So it's something you have to be careful about. But when you do it right, of course, when you have when you have good communication of feedback, and when that feedback is well aligned with both the student and the educator's learning goals, it can work out really well. But it is something everybody has to be careful with, because um, you know, otherwise, you know, you end up in a situation where uh, you're teaching to the test and learning to the test. Mm. How about narrative? How how important is having a narrative for a learning game? It's a really good question. I think narrative is something that can be very helpful. Um, it's not as if it is necessarily essential in all cases. I think like anything that you put into an educational experience, if you put it in there, you 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 better be putting it in there for a good reason. Um, sometimes. Narrative can be helpful because it gives you context for a situation. You're solving a problem, and now you and the narrative will kind of tell you, well, here's why you're you're solving this particular problem. Um, other times, it gives you um, emotional motivation. You could just say, solve this math problem, but if you're saying you need to solve this math problem so that this sad little penguin can go home, it makes some people care. A little more. Um, so there are different reasons that you might bring narrative in. And uh, as with anything, you want to use as little of it as you can manage because otherwise it can get a little overwhelming. But when you use the right amount of it at the right time, it can help make um, it can help make experiences connect in the brain a little more, make them more emotionally relevant and and kind of give you a fuller context of what you're doing and why. Ooh. Good answer. You, you led me to my next question, which is uh, the, the factor of time. So lots of schools are slowly getting VR headsets. However, uh, one can argue that schools can't afford, you know, large amounts like a one-to-one -one headset situation. And therefore, teachers often will use VR as a station and they'll cycle students through that station, which then means, Jesse, that time becomes a factor. Like how long do you allow a student to be in a VR headset? You know, and that's of course dependent on the game. Is there a sweet spot when it comes to uh, shell games and how long you want to design that gaming experience for someone? We generally try and design experiences so they can be as long or as short as is needed. I think the most important thing in an educational context is that you know how long it's going to be going in, um, particularly if you have to plan for it. So uh, we have some experiences that are designed to be done in, in so that you can do them in little small chunks, others that can kind of be longer. The best ones are the ones that really allow you to... Um, to kind of have a short or long experience kind of as, as you see fit. So I don't know if there's a perfect sweet spot. It depends so much on what the, uh, what the constraints are. Cause if, if you're, 
if, if you like, look, we've got 20 kids and we've got to cycle them all through this. That's one thing. You want things that are really short and are very clearly defined. But then you have other times where, where part of the power of VR is the freedom to explore at your own pace, in which case holding things to a rigid timeline can actually work against you. So one of our experiences, for example, is History Maker VR, which is less of a game and more of uh, a creativity tool where, where you get to puppeteer a, a figure from, uh, from American history and then produce videos as this figure. And you know, and how long that's going to take since it's a creative process can really depend a lot on what the student's trying to do. Uh, many VR games, uh, n none that I think you guys build, have uh, this tone of violence. For example, uh, a recently popular game called Half-Life Alex in VR has many violent scenes. Does violence in VR games detract from learning? Is there a place, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, violence in any kind of entertainment is uh, something that needs to be addressed thoughtfully. Um, there's certainly some people who take the view that like, oh, if there's violence, that's bad and it doesn't help and it's never good in narrative, etc. But like, yeah, I don't know, go tell that to Shakespeare. How does Hamlet work out for you if it doesn't have any violence in it? Um, so the, the, the key, I think, is if you do have violence in your content, that, it, that it's in there thoughtfully for the right reasons. Uh, I can give an example of um, an experience created at Carnegie Mellon that was called Injustice that was all about a simulation of being at a situation where pr police brutality occurs and deciding like what would you do if you were there and how would you deal with it and of course it's a it's a scene in a situation you know very much about um how to deal with a violent situation now certainly there's plenty of entertainment content that involves gratuitous violence and very often you know in an educational context that can that can be uh distracting and and i think it sort of leads to a larger question of uh you know, our, our feelings overall about gratuitous violence. A popular genre of games that's definitely gaining momentum in schools because you don't need uh, as many headsets is asymmetrical gaming. So just again, for listeners, asymmetrical gaming means that so one student or one person dons the headset but they don't have certain understanding or information or assets that they need to solve the, pro the problem within the game so that they need a team of people outside the game with information maybe on, you know, pieces of paper to help them solve that game. And I, I remember recently that you guys have developed an asymmetrical game. Can you talk about that for us? Yeah, we created something called Deep Time Detectives uh, for the Smithsonian Institution. And the reason we made it asymmetrical that way is this was designed for families visiting a museum. And in that situation, you got families visiting a museum. Families don't always feel great about getting separated from each other. They don't feel great about my child is going to be put into an experience where I can't see exactly what they're doing. That can make the the, the the parents uncomfortable. So the idea was to uh, have one person go into the headset and the others can are watching uh, a TV screen where they can see 
what that person is doing, and then they need to be able to help. And so it fosters communication between the, the family members because they each get different perspectives. The, the family outside has a lot of information about fossils. The, uh, the, the family member in the headset, they can manipulate the fossils, but they don't have that information. So it kind of brings about a conversation. So I think the, the, that kind of asymmetrical situation can be really fun and interesting um, and a great way to sort of uh, use, to sort of spread resources out. We did this somewhat with HoloLab Champions. We created some um, some lesson plans and things that involve one student at the front of the room engaging with the task and then uh, students outside kind of making suggestions and, and observations. Mm. I use uh, keep talking and no one explodes a lot uh, in some of my, my homeroom uh, or advisor classes, and they just love it. They find it very thrilling. Yeah, no, that that one's great because it's 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 a lot of fun and it really involves a lot of uh, thoughtful, logical problem solving. I don't know if you're able to uh, share any trade secrets or anything like that, but what is the future hold? for work at Shell Games? Anything sort of that you're able to share with us that you're working on and can get people excited about? Let's see. That's a great question, particularly in the educational space. Um, uh, we do have a new educational VR game that we are going to be embarking on in 2021. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I don't think I can really talk about that one uh, just yet. Um, a lot of our recent news has been more about in the entertainment space, cause we're in both in education and entertainment space. We, uh, we just had the, the final version of, um, of our sword fighting game until you fall is now out on the Oculus quest and the PlayStation. And so, so we've been, that's, we've had a big entertainment focus there for the end of, uh, 2020, but 2021 we'll be moving into more um, educational VR again as well. And will the focus be on uh, making it available for the standalone headsets like the, the Oculus Quest, or are you still hoping to keep it towards the tethered VR like the HTC Vive and the uh, Oculus Rift? We, we're still figuring all that out. Um, our Most of our focus now is on the Oculus Quest. Uh, we are really seeing that it is uh, the strongest VR platform. It is not only um, the most convenient to use and the least expensive, but the people who who have the Oculus Quest, they, they purchase a lot of games. And so there's a lot of reasons that for the VR market, we, we really believe it's going to be kind of the center of the VR universe for probably the next, at least the next couple of years. Mm, I agree. I just ordered myself a, a Oculus Quest 2, so I'm excited to get my hands on that. Have you uh, had a chance to try that device yet? Oh, yep, have uh, definitely. We've been uh, working with it for uh, a while because, you know, we have two different games out. We have both I Expect You to Die and Until You Fall are both uh, going to be are out for the Quest and the Quest 2. And, yeah, no, we're, we're as, a, as a device and an experience, we're absolutely thrilled with it. Is there anything else you'd like to say that maybe hasn't been talked about that listeners might be interested in hearing? Boy, I don't know. We uh, covered a lot of, uh, we covered a lot of good ground here. Um, I do think it's an interesting question about what is going to happen next with education and VR. 
Um, I know that my gut feeling is the affordability and the portability of the Quest system is going to make it a dominant system in the educational space. Um, presently, it's the, the marketplace isn't doesn't seem to be totally set up and ready for that, but I, I imagine that's going to change soon. Um, so we're, we're all looking at that and very interested to see uh, what, what happens next with the Oculus Quest in the educational space. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, as I said before, from this podcast, as well as just my talking to other teachers, you know, I've, I've never seen such a buzz before. I think, uh, you know, especially with the convenience of the standalone, uh, there are more and more teachers and school districts out there who are finally seeing this as a viable option uh, for classrooms. So it's an exciting time. Yeah, obviously with the pandemic, the hygiene issue is is front and center uh, with that. And so that's, I think, is if anything's going to slow up the use of VR in uh, the educational space in the short term, I think it'll be that. But uh, hopefully uh, that'll all be behind us soon. If people want to learn more about uh, your work or Shell Games, uh, where can they go or how could they get a hold of you guys? Yeah, they, I mean, uh, certainly you can, if you want to learn about my work overall, you can visit jessieshell.com, J-E-S-S-E-S-C-H-E-L-L.com, or you can go directly to shellgames.com. And uh, we have lots of information about all our projects right there. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for many things. One, uh, thinking about education. Uh, I know lots of uh, companies are slow to design games because they don't feel the education market is ready yet, but you guys have been paving the way. So thank you for that. And then more importantly, thanks for coming on the show to talk to us uh, a bit about what you guys do. Oh, sure thing. No, it's great to talk to you. It's it, This is a wonderful time for uh, educational gaming. There are just so many opportunities to experiment and try new things. And you have a generation of students that's really ready to embrace these technologies and make the most of them. Awesome. Bye for now. Okay, bye.